Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Ben Hogan Golf, Two Under, Taylor Made Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. I hope everyone is still staying safe out there and healthy as well. I know we're all getting a little antsy, but while we continue to be stuck at home, we're excited to bring you some fun golf content that can help you stay sharp with some drills you can do in your backyard or out in your living room, plus some good conversation that can help make your day a little more enjoyable. Tonight, we're going to switch things up a little bit in, in that typically when our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, joins me, he does it at the end of the show. And this week, we're going to kick things off with Tom, and he's a superstar, and, and most times you want your superstar batting cleanup, but occasionally you want that guy in your leadoff position, like Mookie Betts, all those years with the Red Sox, and I know Tom is enjoying that comparison to a Red Sox player right about now, but it's always great having TP here, and he's going to join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a visit from John Patrick of the Augusta Golf Show. John has been covering the Masters for 35 years. I'm going to talk to him about some of his favorite stories over that time, what it's like being inside the locker room, oh, by the way, and getting to talk to some of the legends that he's had an opportunity to spend some time with. Also get his thoughts on how different a November Masters might be. Looking forward to having John with me. He'll join me at the bottom of the hour. Then we'll round out tonight's show with an interview I did yesterday with Champions Tour Player of the Year, Scott McCarran. We'll hear how Scott got his start in the game, his time playing his college golf at UCLA, why he always seems to play so well here in Atlanta. Three of his wins have come here, either at the old Bell South Classic or what's the now the Mitsubishi Electric Classic. So we'll talk about that, plus the incredible finish to last year's Charles Schwab Cup. Remember that? Scott had a big lead in the point standings until Bernard Longer and Retief Goosen turned on the Jets, and it all came down to the final event and a playoff between Jeff Maggart and Retief Goosen. If Maggart won the playoff, Scott would win the Cup. If Goosen had won, he would have taken home the cup. So we'll hear that story and the gift that exchanged hands between Scott and Maggard for the incredible haul out that Maggard made in order to give Scott the trophy. So you'll hear our conversation about that and a whole lot more when I play that interview for you about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. I want to start out by saying hello to my friends Mitch and Matthew Lawrence and remind you about their great golf shows. Please check out Mitch's podcast. It's called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can stream online at golftripx.com. It's also available on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. Mitch and his co-host Darren Bunch take you around the U.S. and Canada to some of the great places you can go stay and play. They also let you know about some of the hidden gem courses that you might not be aware of. Go online to golftripx.com and check out their podcast. Matthew's show is called Backspin Golf. It's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern Tea Time. You can stream the show live by going online to WLXG.com or download the WLXG app. 
He features our good friend Perry French in the first segment every week, so you know a lot of great golf tips and content are going to be right there for you at the beginning of the show. Matthew has such great guests every single week, and he's a fantastic host. Check his show out online by going to Backspin Golf on ESPN Radio, WLXG, and WLXG.com. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. They've got their new spring collection out right now. And their new spring sweaters, polos, and pants are all fantastic. And you're going to see Steve Stricker, Miguel Angel Jimenez, and Ernie Els wearing them out on the Champions Tour. Check it out online by going to BobbyJones.com and enter the coupon code ONTHET to save 20% at checkout. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade Sim, featuring the Sim Driver designed with a radical new head shape to make the driver both fast and forgiving where you need it most on the downswing. Sim irons with an improved speed bridge and echo dampening system to deliver a distance iron with forge-like feel. And the Sim fairway woods with low CG to help you hit it higher and a V-steel sole to launch it even easier out of any lot. Get fit for Sim throughout your entire bag and experience the effect it's going to have on your entire game. Check it out online by going to tailormadegolf.com for more information on the all-new Sim family. All right, now back in making, get this, his 30th appearance with me here on Next on the Tee is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Tom is one of the top instructors in the game. You know that. And in normal times, you could visit him and improve your game by going to Esplanade Golf and Country Club in Naples, Florida. Instead, now the best way to get TP to help you with your game is by downloading the V1 video app and sending him videos of your golf swing through there. Or send him a question via his website, tompatry.com. Also subscribe to his newsletter while you're there as well. Tom is a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board. He's a two-time first-team All-American at Florida Southern, and he won the Division II National Championship back in 1981. He was inducted into their Sports Hall of Fame in 2004, and it's always a privilege to have him as part of the show. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Chris, this is Mookie Betts. Tom couldn't be with us tonight, so I'm filling in for him. <laughs> hey, dude. You you know you're a superstar and an MVP just like Mookie. You know sometimes we want you uh, to, to clean up and sometimes we want you yeah. at the top of the order. But you know, like the Red Sox, great, you come through. My name is Brett Garden. <laughs> I thought you'd go Jacoby Ellsbury. Give me that one. <laughs> Stop. Stop. <laughs> How are you? Are you doing okay? I'm good. How about you, TP? You know, I, I'm I'm really happy right now that Denise and I live in a, a one-story home because if it was a two-story home, I might be jumping off the roof soon. But, uh, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Things not getting any better, Dad. I mean, you know, we've talked about this the last few times you've been a part of the show, and my heart goes out to you and all the PGA and LPGA, you know, professionals out there that are that are struggling through these times. It's, uh, it's brutal. It, like I said before, you guys are like small businesses, and you guys are getting hit hard right now with the you know tees being closed down and practice tees being closed down and all that sort of stuff i'm hoping that some of this video stuff is starting to open up some things a little bit more are you see, starting to see more activity on the v1 app yeah christian but in, in, the, in the big you know in the big picture listen we're fine i mean we're doing just fine we're you know we'll get through this everybody will get through we'll, we're pretty resilient people but uh, you know my my heart goes out to you know new jersey new york philly Chicago, uh, Miami, and, and even West Palm Beach right now. You know, people out in California, Washington State. I mean, in the grand, in the, Spain and Italy, in the, 
grand scheme of things, I'm just fine. I mean, the, the amount of suffering going on, um, as I told you last time, we, ha- we still have a friend who's on a vent still in New York, and uh, she is not doing well, so my heart is with her right now. And uh, they're, they're dear, This couple is a dear friends of mine for 30 years, so in the grand scheme of things, we're just fine. We really are. That's a good way to put it in perspective, my friend. Yeah. All right, so let's let's talk about some happier things. Well, sort of happier things. I'm, I'm going to get you riled up early tonight, and, and, and I want to get your thoughts on the programming we're not seeing on the Golf Channel. Like, uh, you know, hey, you know, the great programming today, the second round of the Western Intercollegiate Golf Tournament, you know, college <laughs> event. The second round from that was on, and I tell you, I was riveted to that. Hey, give me a little help, TP. What what's going on at the golf chat? You know, you know, I think that's the hundred thousand dollar question, Chris. It's not the million dollar question. I've uh, I've gotten this feedback from a number of PGA professionals that I've talked to. Uh, you know, we're doing so much skyping and and video chatting right now. Um, you know, I was sitting at my desk yesterday, and I was enthralled with three back to back episodes. I think it was of, of the big big break. I mean, come on, really, guys. You own some of the greatest content of golf events in the last 30, 25 or 30 years, if not longer. Uh, and, and you're putting on re- re- reruns of the big break. I mean, what the hell are you thinking about? I mean, the, West, the, the Western Intercollegiate, I, I watched the, the third round last week of the Valspar from Tampa last year, 17 times, I think. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, this, this, here's a, here's a sports medium, a golf specific medium that has incredible content not only tournaments but but you know great teachers that have you know have have done things through the years yes. and i don't mean the do, I, I don't mean the day-to-day shows i mean the great people have showed up whether it's the butch homers or the david ledbears or the rick smiths or the jim studies or you know whoever you want to pick that's you know just you know comes to mind that that's been on there and you're replaying the final round of the west western intercollegiate last year i mean i, I don't get it i just don't get it um, I'm not going to mention any names, but I've got a good friend at the channel who I, who I Skype with today. And I was like, dude, what is going on up there in Orlando? He's like, you know, I, I, I really don't know. I really, I don't, I don't get it either. So without calling anybody out, I don't, I don't understand what they're doing, what they're thinking. Um, because they've got so many great tournaments and so much great instruction and content. Man, you got me. You got me. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, listen, if we're going to give them a coronavirus grade, I'm giving them an F minus. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, there are a couple of things that come immediately to mind, and and, uh, you and I were talking a little bit before the show. But if if you're going to do nothing else, put on stuff that Arnold Palmer did. Get Mr. Palmer on there. I mean, I know they've got his his life story, and and they've replayed that a couple of times in the last couple of weeks with the masters coming up and that sort of thing. But I would think you would be able to put a bunch of stuff about Mr. Palmer's career. And then you hit the nail on the other nail on the head. And that is, you know, I, I know you and several of our, our good friends, you know, Rob Strano and, and Brian Jacobs and, and Cindy Miller and Alan Miller, you guys have done a lot of great content for the golf channel Academy stuff that I would think you could fill the airways with that stuff. I mean, at least give me something I can be doing at home that I would at least want to watch. I mean, 
I mean, I'll, I'll do respect to the kids that, that were a part of the Western intercollegiate round, second round and their parents and families. <laughs> and I get that, you know, those folks are, are interested and want to see that again. But well, for the rest of us, come on, man. Yeah, the only the only problem with playing my stuff is I had hair when we did it, so nobody would recognize me. So, (laughs) (laughs) indeed. Um, All right, so let let's move on a little bit. And and, um, Tom, I know we're all going a little stir crazy here, and we're all hoping, you know, for the the country to reopen when it is practical to do so. And again, I don't want to advocate that we should be rushing out of our homes because. Right now is not the time, and we've got to wait until you know a lot of this stuff gets cleared out, and and it's safe for all of us to do so. Um, but I, I want to get your thought. When do you think the right time for not only the, the most of us just to go play around a golf at our local golf courses, and here in Georgia, many of those are closed down. But you know, between ourselves and the PGA Tour, when when do you think it makes sense to get back to it? Well, I mean. Unlike, unlike the federal government right now, because I'm, I'm, I'm listening to or trying to listen to the medical community and the science community, um, to make my own judgments. But for, I am certainly no expert. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not an expert at all, but just by listening and reading and reading and listening and reading and listening more and more in the last week or so, if somebody had to pin me to a wall and make me make a prediction, I don't think that Tom Patry's giving a golf lesson and I, man, I listen, Chris. I hope I'm wrong about this. I don't think I'm giving a golf lesson face to face with you, up close and personal, the way I'd like to give a golf lesson uh, until July one. I'm praying to God it's June one, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's July one. And I, again, I hope I, man, I hope I'm wrong about that. Well, I will jump out of some window somewhere if it's July one, but um, that's that's what I think, and that's what I'm preparing myself for. Um, you know, Chris, I'm so hands-on when I teach. Uh, you know, I use I use a variety of teaching aids. I, I take video and stand side by side with somebody and watch the video. Uh, I put my hands on the person and move them around physically and try to make them feel and sense certain things. Um, I'm, I'm really I, I guess I didn't realize how hands-on it was as a teacher until until I had to think about it um, these last couple of weeks. So. You know, from my style of teaching, to get my points across the way I really like to live one on one. It's it's a it's a tough call for me right now. So I, I think I'm I think I'm I think I'm very conservative saying J- July one, but I hope liberally that it's June one. So let's take that a step further. PGA Tour, LPGA Tour event. Do you think we go back to so just the way it used to be? Are we playing without? Fans or patrons, depending on how you like to look at it, and we're talking about the Masters or not, but um, or do you think we're uh, the golf tournaments go on without anybody there? What, let's, let's think about this scenario. Let's say that the medical community is right again. Again, I hope they're not right about this. And this thing calms down a little bit. We get we get something done over the summer, um, whether it's with fans or without fans. But then it circles back in the fall, like they say it will. And in November, they play the Masters. And think about the scenario. They play the Masters without fans on the property. And on Sunday, Tiger makes an eagle on 13 to go one ahead of John Rahm. And there's deathly silence on screen. 
Can can you even imagine that? No. Can you even imagine that there's no roar? There's no roars on Amen Corner. That somebody hits a shot two feet from the hole over Ray's Creek on number eleven, and there's dead silence, and they they pan back to the tee, and there's nobody on the hill behind the eleven, behind the twelfth tee at Augusta. I I can't even, I can't even wrap my head around that at all. So, um, somebody asked me today, if golf comes back, what will it look like? You know, that was their question to me, and I yeah. didn't know how to answer the question. I didn't know how to answer the question. To your point, I cannot imagine a Masters event without, you know, the roars on the back nine. I can't imagine a Masters event where, to your point, Tiger makes a, a great shot, holds a big putt, whatever you want to call it, and the fist pump happens to dead silence. I, 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 you know, it's already going to be odd. I got a question for you, Chris. If Tiger makes this 20-foot eagle downhill, side hill, left to right on 13, to go one ahead of another player. Is there a fist pump? I would think the pure emotion, right? Would would at least would. you know, you know where you're at in the tournament. You would think that that there you would know. there would be. But you know, uh, you know how about this time? I mean, you know, the, the guys are so accustomed, right, to when they make yeah. a putt, even if it's for par or whatever, right? They kind of give the the right hand wave or the left hand wave, you know, to the crowd because the crowd <laughs> claps or, or whatever. And, you know, I can just imagine somebody making the butt and sticking the right hand up and go, oh, yeah, there's nobody here. I guess I can put my hand there's down now. Here, right? yeah, exactly. yeah. The cupboard is bare. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to answer the question. I, I, uh, I mean, you turn on a NFL football game or an NBA game or, you know, a Stanley Cup final or the Masters and there's nobody, there's nobody there. Geez, I don't, I don't know how that would look or feel. I, I, I think that would be bizarre at best, you know. So yeah. at that point, I think maybe if the tour is able to ramp it back up, I should, I shouldn't say the tour. I should say the tours: LPGA Tour, European Tour, PGA Tour, Champions Tour, whatever tour you're talking about, ramps it back up in June, and they kind of get the all clear sign to some degree. Um, <laughs> Social distancing? I don't think so. But let's say they do, and there's crowds over the summer, and then it circles back in the fall, and then they say, okay, no crowds. So it's kind of like a yo-yo. When you're in, you're out. You're in, you're out. You're excited. You're not excited. You're you're excited, then you're kind of perplexed, and you, and you don't know how to really behave. I, I don't know what this is going to look like, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be strange. It's going to be strange. So let me take a couple of spins on, on this situation as well. Let, let me start with you. You mentioned the NFL college football, right? Masters Sunday in early November up against college football on Saturday, the NFL on Sunday. They've never had to compete that way before. What do you think that looks like from a, from an audience perspective, even if the patrons are allowed to be there? And suddenly on Saturday, there's a big, you know, Georgia college football game. Sunday, you got, you know, the, the Falcons are, I guess, as close to local as you could be. You got, you know, the, the, the Carolina Panthers a little further north of Augusta. But all of a sudden, it's, it's, a, it's now a race against football. What do you think yeah, that looks it's, like? It's, you know, it's funny because that's what, that's what they did with the, uh, with the tour championship and the realignment of tournaments to try to get away from that. Right. And now you're back, now you're back right up against that again. I, I think, I think that obviously the, 
it's really simple. The, the really true golf fan, the really true golf fan who bleeds golf is going to is going to turn on the Masters. I mean, I love college football, love it, but I'm going to turn on the Masters. Okay, but now the guy that plays recreational golf and is a big Georgia, a big Alabama, a big Florida, some kind of big SEC fan. Mm, you know, he, he's going to kind of throw the coin up in the air and heads, heads I win, tails I lose, you know, and kind of make a call there. Or maybe he's flipping back and forth. Right. Maybe he's got the, maybe he's got the two TVs in room on. Um, how about this? I'll go a step further. If you live in Atlanta, Georgia, what if there's a, what if that weekend is a big Georgia, I'm going to make this up, Georgia, Alabama game being played in Atlanta? Okay, and somebody hands you a ticket on the twenty on the fifty yard line for the Georgia Alabama game, and they hand you a ticket to the third round with the Masters. Mm. Yeah, what are you doing? Tough. Me, I'm going. I'm going to Augusta because Augusta, Augusta National is my favorite place on the planet. I would choose that over everything. <laughs> but I get and, I get the I comparison am, because a lot of people here wouldn't do that. Wouldn't make right. that choice. Right, and I am I am I'm with you, Chris. I'm I'm getting in the car with you and going to Augusta, but there's going to be a faction of those fans that don't know what to do. You know, right? Um, it's it's we're in a very listen, we're in a, a very bizarre time right now. We're in a bizarre time financially, socially, you know, uh, athletically. We're in a bizarre time, and 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 I think truthfully. This is gonna this is gonna get us off point a little bit, but that's not the most important thing right now. The most important thing is, you know, is that person you know who's in trouble right now gonna live? You know. Um that's right. are they gonna have a normal life? Are they gonna have one normal can they breathe again? You know? So right. um I'll I'll worry about I'll worry about November twelfth when we get there, um and, and however we get there. But um that's not the first thing on my mind right now, but it is a very bizarre question that, that I don't think any of us have the answer to. And it's going to seem, it's going to seem pretty bizarre turning the, turning the masters on TV if we're not going in November. Yeah. Agreed. And I'm, I'll certainly get into this uh, subject a little bit deeper with my, my next guest, John Patrick from the Augusta golf show. But, but Tom, let, I, I want to get your perspective because here in Atlanta, once we get to Halloween, it gets pretty cold here. I mean, it's not freezing. It's not like New York and the parts of the you know the, the northern parts of the country. But it's but it's cold. I know where you're going. Right, I know where you're going. So this is a this would be a very different Masters tournament because it's going to be played in the cold. It's going to be played. I would believe the fairways are going to be harder than the guys are used to. The, as will the greens, and the greens are already historic and how fast that, that they are. Um, sun's going to be in a different part of the sky. Grass is going to grow in a little bit different direction. It's going to make Augusta National play a lot differently than the guys are used to. What impact do you think it's going to have on the field, and does it favor somebody versus somebody else? Well, I think, first of all, Chris, I think from an agronomy standpoint, Augusta National having the most complex sub-air system in the world and being able to control ground temperature and certainly cutting height, um, they're more equipped to deal with the weather change from an agronomy standpoint than any, than any club on the planet. So I don't think that's going to be the issue, but from a pure weather standpoint, and you know how it can be there, and I, I've been in that area 
fall, just like you live there. But it can be it can be pretty nice there, and it can be beautiful in the fall, actually, or it can be absolutely freezing cold and windy. If you get a bad weather week there, no matter how much they can control the ground temperatures with, with sub air, just the pure wind and cold, uh, how it affects the golf ball and fight, and 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 how windy Amen Corner can, can certainly be under normal conditions, but you know, put it at you know fifty three degrees and windy, and, and kind of maybe spitting a little, you know, a little rain or something like that. There, man, it, it, <laughs> that'll be that'll be brutal there, brutal. Um, and, and may the best man win. And it's just a, it's going to be just a mental fortitude at that time. So you got to look at players who historically we think are really mentally tough and obviously one person comes to mind right away um so i certainly think it favors him um but who who can hang in there the longest it becomes just a battle of of, of the mind for a while because four days of that really i mean i can tell you from from a experience standpoint playing in tough weather conditions for four straight days man it wears you out it really wears you out so you say it, it favors the mentally tough, and we know who you're talking about. But let's 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 talk Tiger and Cole. Does it actually play to well, his favor, no. or does it play against well, him right. because of the cold? That's a great point. That's a great point. You know, that comes down to how he feels physically going in, how rested he is, how strong he is. You know, what he's done to prepare for that. I, I'm, but listen, if anybody's thinking about that in advance and trying to figure out ways to combat that, you know, it's him, right? Um, so then, so let me let me turn the tables on you, Chris. Give me your second choice, considering somebody that's healthy, that's a good player right now, that you think is mentally, mentally really strong. Well, to me, when when I start to think about hard conditions, fast conditions, cold, windy, I start thinking about the European players, guys that are used to playing. Yeah. You know, and we we hear this all the time, right? About when you're when you're playing over on at an open championship, right? You get all four seasons within a round or within a day. So I started to think of those guys. You know, so does it play into Rory McElroy's hands? And we've heard Jack Nicholas talk about how he thinks the conditions will favor Rory. But any of those guys, you know, Tommy Fleetwood, could it could it be his time? Um, you know, so any of those guys, Molinari, could he get over what happened, you know, last year and put put together, you know, some better rounds and get his game back in shape by then? I don't know, but I think the European players have the advantage if those are the playing I got, conditions. But, I, I got a name for you, Justin Rose. Yeah, exactly. Justin Rose come back from uh, the the near miss uh, when Sergio won. So, yeah, absolutely. I think the European players uh, certainly would have a step up. No, I, I just think you know, Rory, I think Rory's game, and I love Rory's game, by the way, who doesn't like Rory's game, has become almost... Um, Almost too Americanized, you know. He he hits it high. Um, I don't think he fights the ball down as well as some of the other Europeans. I think Fleetwood does. I like Fleetwood a lot. Um, and if he's healthy and he's not right now and he hasn't been for a while, I like Jason Day, um, who has a pretty good record there. Um, but I like Rose a lot. I like Rose a lot. He controls the golf ball and controls his trajectory very well. TP, before I let you go, let our listeners know, for those that want to get uh, one of the best instructors in the game to take a look at their swing, remind them how they can do so in these times. Yeah, 
I'm having a blast right now, um, just with my V1 system. I, you know, I've got a V1 uh, online video academy. Uh, you, all you do is simply download the V1 app from the App Store. Um, you just follow the prompts. You select me. Uh, it's an alpha list of instructors. You can select me from the instructor list and um, send, me, send me a video lesson. Right now, I've got a, uh, a special going on uh, because of what's going on. Folks out there who, you know, they're going stir crazy. I want to be able to do this affordably. They can be analyzed for $19.99. Um, and then if they choose to like it from there, I've got package specials that follow up on that type of pricing just while this is all going on. So it's pretty affordable. Uh, it's pretty detailed. Full audio, full video, obviously, there's full graphics. And then I've got 450 drills that I uh, filmed in a TV studio that I can paste right onto your uh, onto your analysis, depending on what's wrong with your game. It needs to be fixed. So I give you a full drill program. It's, it's pretty comprehensive, and it, it's actually a lot of fun. And, Tom, remind them how they can follow you online and on social media as well. Yeah, because all the platforms, obviously, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, I'm on every I'm on every single platform, so it's easy to find me. Uh, I welcome questions on all those platforms. I, uh, as you said on my website, which is simply tompatry.com, they can send me a question via the website as well and sign up for the newsletter there. So it's pretty easy to get to me. Well, TP, I can't thank you enough for coming back and being part of the show again this week. Always fun having you here. Um, look forward to catching up with you again in a couple of weeks in between now and then, my friends. Stay safe, stay healthy, and all the best, best to you and the missus. You're the best, pal. I love being on show number 30, and uh, it was enjoyable being the leadoff hitter, and uh, have a great show the rest of the night. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Hi, right, Todd. Take care, my friend. We'll catch up soon. Okay, buddy. That's the great Tom Patry, P-A-T-R-I is uh, how you spell his last name. So at Tom Patry. You can find him, like you said, on all of the uh, social media platforms. TomPatry.com is his website. So uh, check, take a look at that V1 app, folks. I know I'm going to be getting that, uh, getting video of myself and sending it over to Tom, get a little help uh, with my game. But download the V1 app, choose him as your instructor, $19.99 for your first one. Can't beat that. So TP is the best, and I can't wait uh, to check, uh, check him out again. He'll be uh, back with me in just a couple of weeks. All right, before I get to my next guest, John Patrick, I want to give a shout out to our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan Iron since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get on their demo program and get one of their Fort Worth PCX Pro or Edge Irons and take it out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you've got. All Ben Hogan Woods irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made woods, irons, and wedges by going online to BenHoganGolf.com, and they're going to build those clubs to your specifications, and best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Again, check out their complete line of golf equipment, bags, and accessories by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now joining me here is the host of the Augusta Golf Show, John Patrick. You can check out his show at AugustaGolfShow.com. John has been covering the Masters for 35 years. 
And outside of maybe a handful of players, nobody knows the tournament, the course, and the impact that that tournament has had on golf history better than John does. And I'm very delighted taking time out of his busy schedule to join me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, John, thanks for coming on the show. Chris, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, John, before we get into all the all the Augusta and Master stuff, I got to ask you a question. You come so highly recommended by two of my my uh, two of the people I love more than anyone on the planet, and that's Mitch and Matthew Lawrence. You got to explain to me how did you get hooked up with those two guys? Um, we did time together down in Vidalia, Georgia. No, uh, <laughs> you know, actually, actually, my relationship with Mitch. Uh, came from my relationship with the late Jim Huber. Um, I love Jim. And and Jim kind of turned me on to, to Mitch. And obviously, when you meet Mitch, uh, Matthew comes along as sort of a, you know, bogo. Um, so, so, so that's, so that's kind of, that's, that, and that's actually how it happened. It was, it wasn't much more complicated than that. Um, Mitch was the one that picked up the phone on that January 2nd, seven or eight years ago to tell me that Jim had passed away. Uh, so I, that, that, that's how that relationship began. Uh, to this day, uh, the lady that I'm with just for some reason just can't believe she knows Matthew Lawrence because she grew up watching Beverly Hills 90210. So she just, she has a great time whenever we're with Matthew, but. Um, they're good boys. They're good boys. I, they don't really talk about the time we did down in Bidelia as much as I do. <laughs> good to know. All right. I appreciate that. So, John, um, g- give me the background. How'd you get started covering the Masters? Well, uh, I'm 41 years in radio, uh, disc jockey for most of those years. Just to, you know, platter push and pop up, playing the hits. And um, I moved here in 1984. My first day in this city was the Saturday of the third round of the 84 Masters. And, and my boss uh, at the time would be my boss, you know, welcoming me. I'm the new employee, so you're kind of treated special for about a week. They um, said, you want to go to the Masters tomorrow? Now, absolutely. So I went to the final round of the 84 Masters. I have apologized to Ben Crenshaw profusely on numerous occasions that I didn't see anything he was doing on that back nine because I wanted to see all the things I grew up, you know, watching. Because, yeah, I had no idea if I'd ever set foot on those grounds again. So I went and watched Jack play the back nine, and I went and watched Watson, and I went and watched all the guys that grew up watching. No idea. Ben was snaking in some putt on and I don't know that I could have told who won the golf tournament by the end of that afternoon because I was just soaking all the rest of it in. And then 85 was the first year I actually had my press credential and covered it. Uh, still a disc jockey. I, you know, it's, it's unusual in this town. We, we stopped down the music format to cover the Masters because of how big it is. So for many of those years, I was a, you know, 51 weeks out of the year, a, a morning show disc jockey, and for one week out of the year covering the Masters. And I've been doing it since, since 1985. Um, Kind of came off the air 11, 12 years ago and, and still covered it for the radio station for whom I had worked and, uh, and now back at a radio station doing a daily morning show on a news talk covering it now. So yeah, this, you know, if this all goes as planned, November is 36 and April is 37 of them. 
So for most of us, at least they're, they're my age and, and I'm a, I'm a, about a week shy of my 55th birthday. But growing up, Jack Nicholas was my guy. 86, outside of perhaps the, the 1980 U.S. hockey team, eight, the 86 Masters might be the greatest sporting event that I've ever witnessed and uh, certainly most special to me. So very early on in, in your time there, you get to go cover the 86 Masters. What was it like being on the grounds for that? Well, I was a Nicholas sycophant as a child. I was the guy on the putting green, you know, position with my elbows pointed out and the open stance, you know, putting like Jack, the little piston motion. Um, so I, I couldn't believe what was happening that Sunday. Yeah, he birdies nine. That was kind of neat. And then he birdies 10. Wow, that was interesting. When he birdied 11, I said, I have to go see some of this. Because, you know, at the time, Chris, in 1986, we were, we were operating out of an honest-to-goodness Quonset hut um, at, at, at the Masters. And, and the television, watching it on TV was sketchy. You were really just kind of watching the guys post the scores. So I ran out to 12, and I had to do a report every hour. So I ran out to 12 to watch him par 12. I'm sorry, to bogey 12. I watched him bogey 12. And then I watched him play 13. I watched him play 14. He hit his tee shot on 15. And as he's hitting his second shot, I'm actually, unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize I'd gotten in this position, but I'm standing next to Barbara when he hits his second shot on 15 on the green. And and so I had to go now. I can't stay. I've got to rip it you. I've got to schlep back from the middle of 15 fairway back to the Quonset hut. And I get halfway, three quarters of the way there. And I hear the, I hear the roar for the Eagle, but it's, but it's the tee shot on 16. It's whatever it is now. You know, it's 34 years later to this day. I have not heard the crowd roar like it roared for the tee shot on 16 to this day, tiger included. Um, I couldn't believe what I was a part of. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, it, 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 it's inexplicable. Um, it's, I, it, you know, I you know, give, give a thought that it was my second masters again, you know, Chris, like everything else, maybe it's my last masters for all I know. I don't know that I'm doing this every year. Um, so I, I've told the story on, uh, with Mitch and Matthew that, um, and you may have heard, uh, that night I go up to, uh, Jackie. And I asked Jack, and I, and I asked Jackie, because I'm 28 years old and don't know any better, can I have a golf ball from the bag? And Jackie gives me a golf ball. And so I then proceed to get a friend of mine here in town, Frank Christian, who for many years was the club photographer. I asked Frank for a photograph from that day. He, he sold the one of Jack raising his putter on 17. He sold that to the cover of Sports Illustrated. But he gave me the next frame. And then I got a duplicate of the scorecard. And that's a shadow box in the living room of a photo of Jack, a replica of the scorecard, and a ball from that round. So wow. it's just something personal for me. It's just something that, that I've always, that I want, that I treasure, that I like. We fast forward to 19, uh, to 2006, I guess. No, 2016, 30 years later. And Jack, is in the press facility talking about the tournament. And I see Jackie in the back of the room. And I go up to him and I said, I have to ask you a question. 
He said, yeah. And so I tell him the story. Uh, you know, 1986, I come up to you as a 28-year-old. I ask you for a golf ball. Jackie says, please tell me I gave you one. That's my favorite part <laughs> of the story. I said, you did. He said, God, I thought this was going to be one of those stories. And I said, no. I said, but here's the thing, Jackie. You know, it, it's a treasure to me. I don't really care about this, but you're here and I'm interested. It's, it's a Nicholas golf ball. And I said, I'm just curious if your dad used it in the round. And he said, so does it have two pencil marks as a marking next to the number? And I said, yes. He goes, what's the number? I said, one. He said, all right, well, here's what I can tell you. Yes, dad used it in the round. Dad had six golf balls in the bag. He changed out every three holes. John, I can't tell you if it bogeyed 12 or eagled 15. But yes, he did use it wow. in the round. I said, that's all, that's all I need to know. That's all I want to know. So wow. it, it was, it was, and I've, and I've loved Jack ever since. And Jack and I have gotten to know each other and he's mellowed through the years. But, but I, oh, I, for as long as I covered, and I've been there for all of Tiger. I was there for the slam. I was there for last year. It, it, nothing better than 86. Nothing better than 86. So now, now you've got me, uh, you know, I got all kinds of questions and I want to try to, you know, focus myself, but let, let me, let me fast forward a few years for you. 12 years later in 98, when he finishes six, but he makes the run. Do you remember what was, was, was it, you know, yes, were the, people going crazy? The run was early. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, that's the other thing about 86 and 96, you know, the heart and in 86, you know, I'm a neophyte in that room again. In the Quonset hut, the, the writers were sequestered in the middle of the Quonset hut, and all of the, the, the other media people, the lowly television and radio people, were kind of outside on the boundaries. But, the, but they all went wild in 86, and they did the same thing when Jack is making the run. Now, you know, it kind of petered out relatively early, but, but still, it, that, place, that place, even for Tiger, it, it got more excited for Jack when Jack would do those sort of things um, than any other player that I've, that I've seen out there in 35 years. So yeah, it, everybody kind of, everybody kind of perked up and started paying attention uh, when Jack made that run. So John, uh, more painful to watch Norman's collapse in 96 or speech in 2016. Oh, easily, easily Norman, easily. I mean, that was, that was, that was probably, saddest day I've ever spent out there. Um, he was, it was a coronation. It was going to be everything we'd hoped this guy would have. You know, Greg was Greg and Greg was good looking and Greg was dashing and, and the shark. And this was, he was going to get that green jacket. He was going to get to come to dinner, you know, every Tuesday night for the rest of his life of master's week. And to watch it happen, to watch it unfold as it did was it, it, when you thought it couldn't get more painful. It got more painful when you thought something else couldn't go wrong. It went wrong. And what was what what seemed different about that day, as opposed to the other times? You know, we we watched Greg lose to Larry Mize, and you watched Greg lose in, in other major championships. This one, this one was Greg doing it to himself. You know, it, it wasn't Larry Mize chipping in. It wasn't Bob Tway out of the bunker. Greg just kind of imploded. Now. I, I wholeheartedly agree with the folks who say Nick doesn't get credit for the round that he shot. He doesn't. But but Greg just imploded, and it was so, so painful to watch. What about um, Patrick Reed in, in 18? Has there, has there been a more unpopular winner <laughs> while you've been there you than know, Reed? 
yeah, you know, you know, Chris, um, in the mid eighties with Bernhard Langer and the Europeans doing what they did, they were not popular at all. I mean, that was, there was a, there was, I think the word golf clap was invented when those guys won. <laughs> um, you know, Patrick, Patrick and I have an interesting history. I've known Patrick for uh, 11 years now. I played golf with Patrick when he went to Augusta University, Augusta State at the time. Um, Patrick, the Patrick Reed that I see today is the Patrick Reed that I knew 11 years ago. Not one thing is different about him. That's exactly the way he was then. It's how he is now. I give him all the credit in the world for being consistent. Um, it, that's not to say the stories aren't true. Every story you've heard is true. Uh, but that, but that is Patrick. Yeah. I, it was, you know, it, it, it took me back to the mid eighties. You know, it did take me when the, when the crowd reacted like the crowd reacted throughout that afternoon. Um, it was, so it was surreal for me again, because I've known Patrick for 11 years. Um, and he doesn't see a whole lot of friendly faces when he looks out into the press, into the press contingent. Um, so, I I have kind of a different feeling and spin on Patrick. So take it to that next level. What what do you see in Patrick Reed that everybody else doesn't? Oh, I you know I, that I two things. Um, here's the first thing. What Patrick tells there was a rift between his parents and Patrick. Now has Patrick has Patrick taken this a bit too far? Yes. Do I think he should have had his parents kicked off golf courses when they were trying to watch him play golf? Absolutely not. But his parents were no angels through through his college career. Um, it was painful to watch the relationship they had. It was painful to watch the way he interacted with his dad. And I think, and I think, you know, he's been portrayed as the villain. They've been portrayed as, you know, the poor parents. It is that is not the case. You know, he's been a little harsh, but they they were harsh at their time. He has taken it to another level. Um, his will to win. Uh, I don't, there, I will not bet against him at all, ever, when it's one on one in a match play, in a Ryder Cup, in a President's Cup. There was no way, Chris, there was no way he was losing that Masters that year. I think he missed a putt on 18 that would have given him maybe a four or five shot lead or a three or four shot lead. And I thought, he makes this putt. There's, he's, he walks to this championship because he is not going to lose it. I've, I've known him long enough to know it's the only thing he ever wanted. I watched him have a conversation with Peter Uline when, when Peter won the U.S. Amateur and qualified for the Masters, and, uh, and, and Uline's team came here to play against Augusta State. We, we have a boys' tournament the weekend before the Masters every year, and, and Uline did not play because he was prepping for the, for the Masters. And, and he said to Patrick, you know, and, and, and they had won the national championship. And he said, I envy your national championship. And Patrick just kind of shook his head. I don't envy that. I envy what you're going to get to do this week. Patrick has always coveted the Masters. He's always, he's, he's loved Tiger. Um, so I just, you know, I, he's a competitor, competitor to the very end. He has not said anything that has surprised me. The, the top five comments, uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. It's it's just the way he is. It, it, he's he's driven. Um, I think he's. I, I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him soften a bit. I'd like to see him bring some more people in. I think it would make him happier. Um, I think Tiger has discovered through the years and through his tough time that he can be happier this way. 
I'd like to see Patrick do some of that. Let's switch gears a little bit. And I uh, mentioned Jordan Spieth, but I want to get your thoughts on on Spieth. And uh, obviously, in the years have come, you know, come and gone since um, since the collapse. Um, but Augusta National seems to be a place where he still actually feels okay. I mean, we saw him finish third in eighteen. Um, we saw him make a little bit of a run in, in, in some of the tournaments since the collapse. Y- your thoughts on speed. Do you think he can get it back? Oh, I think he can get it back. I think they can all, I think they can all get it back. I, I had a friend of mine say once, which I've always found interesting, uh, good putters when they lose it, never get it back. Um, I don't know that Patrick, I mean, I don't know that Jordan has lost it. I, I, I was never a big Jordan speed ball striking fan. I thought he lived and died by his putter and when his putter went south um he then put pressure on his on his on the rest of his game when his, when his putting went south he needed to hit it closer in order to hit it closer he needed to drive it better and i think it just led him down a horrible path and i think he's working hard to get it back and i i don't know if it begins with his with his golf game and his ball striking or his putting uh, he seems to have the putting back a little bit but um i've just it's just the way I've always looked at Jordan. You know, he's, he, he's struck the ball very well at, on many occasions, but I've just always felt if his putting wasn't working, then Jordan was not a factor. What about Ricky Fowler? We keep waiting for Ricky Fowler to emerge, and he's a guy that I'm, I'm starting to feel is very similar to Matt Kuchar. Always around the top 10, always, you know, sort of in contention but hasn't yet got been able to get over the hump, at least in a major. What are your thoughts on Ricky? You know, I, I, I think Ricky is too nice. I don't think Ricky has the killer instinct that Patrick Reed has, and that's what I think Ricky needs. I think Ricky needs to bear down a little bit more and not, not love his life as much, not, not be quite as comfortable as he is with being Ricky Fowler. And I think he, he's got to really learn to want it, and I don't think he wants it yet. I, I think there are an awful lot of guys out there who, who, who make a wonderful living and have a wonderful life finishing fifth um, and, and, and don't have the spotlight, don't have the pressure, uh, don't have to deal with what the things, kinds of things that Tiger deals with. So if, for Ricky to step up, I think Ricky's got to find it in himself to really want it. And I'm not sure I, I, when he's just so darn nice when you're around him. Um, I, I, I don't think he's there yet. So John, take us take us to places that most of us will never get an opportunity to go, like inside the clubhouse, inside the locker room. What's it like going inside the Augusta National locker room? Um, you know, it's 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 very nice. It's the, the champions locker room is very small, um, for the most part, you know. And I think you know, everyone's kind of seen the photos by now. Many of the champions share lockers with other champions because there just aren't that many lockers in there, and they. The last few years, they kind of took up more room by putting a display of a green jacket and the trophy in there. Um, the locker room, the, the regular player's locker room, is, is kind of like anything you'd expect a locker room to look like. Uh, a lot of linoleum there in the restrooms and, and, uh, and, and some, of the <laughs> best, some of the best dolls in the world, Chris. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's... It is why I love the place. It is so understated. It is, you could not feel more comfortable as a guest there when you come to play. Um, 
the members, the members are kind of on edge, making sure that you don't do anything wrong. But as a guest, they roll out the red carpet for you. And, 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 uh, and, it, and it's a great, great treat to get to play that golf course as a guest because you are treated royally. It, you would think you're the member, the way they treat you there. Um, it, again, it's understated. It's oldish. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's certainly not modern on the inside. It's, it's, it's very clean. It's very neat. It's very tidy. Um, I probably was there, boy, I don't know, 15, 20 years. I, I never thought about it. How to get to the crow's nest. You, you have to know how to get to the crow's nest. It's kind of, it's almost like a bookshelf from Harry Potter that moves to get up to the crow's nest. But, but, you know, it, it is to me the, the pure definition of what a perfect private golf club should be. You know, they don't, they don't flaunt the money in your face. They're not, uh, they're not, the, the meals aren't gargantuan. The, it's not over the top. It's just so southernly subtle that it's just wonderful. So who are some of the you know, legends? And, I, and I've heard you tell the, the story about Gene Sarazen, but who are some of the people that you've run into in the clubhouse that you then got an opportunity to sit down and talk to? Uh, boy, sit down and talk to um, yeah, you. Heard, you've heard my, my story years ago. I'll, I'll do it again. Years ago. Um, Many years ago, when at the top of the clubhouse, it was just, it was bare. Now it's a dining area with a lot of tables and people sitting to eat, but there was nothing up there in the eighties and early nineties. You'd walk out of the, walk out of the, of the top of the clubhouse and there'd be two chairs on either side of the door. And, and one day I walked out of that door and sitting to the right was Gene Sarazen. So I sat down in the empty chair to the left and we just had a 30 or 40 minute conversation about a lot of things, different things, um, how things have changed, the wedge, the sand wedge, just as much as I could kind of, kind of talk to him about. And then a few years later, out of three, four, five years later, and, and your listeners may, may, may know this name, may not know this name. I, uh, same thing happened. I came out of that, I came out of that door. I sat in the chair this time. And then coming out of the door, sitting in the other chair was a fellow by the name of Alistair Cook. Um, who people might remember from PBS and I think Masterpiece Theater and, and a, and a longtime writer, uh, for the British papers. Uh, and we had a wonderful conversation. He, I, I just, I just love hearing him tell stories, you know, through the years, it, 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 it is almost forgettable. The people that you've, that you've run into, I will tell you, I will tell you the only one that I've kind of made a point of tracking down stalking if you'd like to use that word um when greg norman played so well in the open championship and qualified for that master late in his career i don't remember the year um but he was still married to chrissy everett chris i hunted her down for three days to just shake her <laughs> hand and tell her how much to tell her how much i it was a pleasure to meet her how much i enjoyed you know watching her play tennis um it was that's i I, that may be, if I think about it, that may be the only one I've really kind of, again, stalking is probably the proper word. Um, the <laughs> only one I've really tried to make sure that, you know, she was not getting off those grounds because I didn't think Greg would be there Saturday. She was not getting off those grounds with me not finding her and speaking to her at some point. 
John, looking ahead to uh, to this year's rescheduled tournament in November, and I was talking to my uh, previous guest, Tom Patry, about this, and uh, I'm here in Atlanta, and it, it's typically cold once we get to about Halloween. So I'm guessing, you know, the greens and the fairways are going to be maybe a little bit harder and a little bit faster than uh, than normal. The sun's going to be in a different part of the sky, so maybe the grass grows a little bit different direction than it normally does, and and we're not going to see the azaleas. It's going to be a lot greener than we're used to. But your thoughts on what a Masters in November might be like? Well, you know, and I heard you guys talking as I was waiting to come on. Uh, see, we think here in Augusta, no, as, as for those of us that play golf 12 months out of the year, November is the best month for golf that we have. And, and you know this from Atlanta. We're coming out of the hot season. We're coming out of the brutal season. We're coming out of summer. And we get a lot of Indian summer. It, it lasts a long time. The weather in November here is spectacular. The club opens. The club opens in October and, 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 you know, it gets its first, first rounds of play in November. I will say this, um, and Gary Player's on the show this weekend and he brought this up and I had been saying this since all of this talk about a rescheduled Masters was coming up. He and I both agree that it will be a Bermuda grass golf course. Um, it will have really? grass green. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I played the course in, the, in November. The rye is awful. It's scruffy. It's nasty. They can't get it going by November. Um, I mean, the essence of that golf course is they overseed the heck out of it and plant that rye and then nurture that golf course from the moment it opens in October until everybody is there in April. That's, that's how they get it the way it looks in April. They baby that thing for five or six months to get it to look that way. But in November, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, I, I think it's going to be a Bermuda golf course. Um, and, 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 and think of what the, think of what East Lake looks like in September, Chris, it's beautiful. They got the Zoysia fairways, yeah. but it's beautiful. I mean, they don't have bent grass greens anymore, but those greens, the last two tour championships have been immaculate. So, so they will have the bent grass greens. And if you play the golf course in November, the caddies will tell you, well, you know, it's not master speed because it's the fall. Well, it's plenty fast enough. Um, and, and if they want to cut them down for the week and, you know, maybe, maybe have some trouble with them afterwards, they can fix that. I, I just believe it's going to be a Bermuda golf course. And then, and then they'll have the challenge, frankly, of, of getting rid of the Bermuda and getting it back to rye from November to April, which that's where I think their wherewithal and their money and their ability to do anything to a golf course, that's where it will come into play. Um, I think they'll, I think at some point this summer, I mean, nobody plays the golf course in the summertime and there's no better time to grow Bermuda than right now and, and what's about to happen. So I think they'll have a beautiful Bermuda golf course uh, come November. John, just a couple more before I let you go. Um, the Augusta National Club has obviously been growing from a length perspective over the last several years. They bought up Berkman's Road and, and, and extended five. And um, we heard a couple of years ago that they had bought a plot from the Augusta you know, Country Club and we're going to extend, you know, maybe the 13th tee back a little bit. Your thoughts on, on what they've been doing and what, what the future of the golf club is as it continues well, to reach out? You know, I think I think the chairman made it pretty clear uh, at last year's press conference. He will back up 13. I'm, I'm not a fan of that. They rid- they bought that land specifically. They had a member have a have an, a medical incident during the tournament down around Amen Corner, 
a few years ago. And they realized at that point they don't have the wherewithal. They did not have the ability to get medical personnel to that part of the golf course in the time needed to do that. So the land that they bought back behind 11, 12, and 13T was primarily purchased as, as another road to have, to have access to the golf course at a moment's notice if needed. Now, does give them the opportunity to back up the 13th tee. Frankly, Chris, I would love to see them. I don't think Billy Payne wanted anything to do with messing with the golf course and messing especially with Amen. Um, he, he did everything he did off the golf course, the infrastructure, the media center, the, the, the pro shop, the, me, the merchandise shop, all of that. He, he didn't mess with the golf course one bit in his tenure, really, truly. Um, but, 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 but Chairman Ridley kind of made it clear, you know, he kind of laid it at the feet of the USGA and the RNA. If they don't roll back the ball, he's going to be forced to do this. I'd like to see them lower it a little bit and move it to the left and force the players to take it right. To, you know, that it'd be really hard to bend it around the turn. Um, force them, force them to hit it out to the center of the fairway to the right and give them 220 or 225 or 230 for a second shot to then kind of let them go at it. That's, and they could do that very easily. And it, I, I don't think it would, I, I just don't think it would be the same thing as, you know, moving that thing back 45 yards. I, I hate to see a mess with Amen Corner, but that, that's me. I, 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 I'm, I'm fascinated by the people. Payne fascinated me for years. He seemed like a traditionalist. He seemed like, you know, how much he was a stalwart of the traditions of the game, but he wasn't afraid to mess with things. Um, I, for some reason, you know, the chairman Ridley has said he's given all the impression it's moving back. I'll be curious with this open window, you know, that they didn't expect to have. Could it be moved back by the fall? I don't know. You know, it doesn't because because now this is their window. Um, they don't, you know, they if they don't move it back for the fall masters, it won't be moved back for the spring masters. So this would be the window to do it. Be curious to see if he does it here. John, I am endlessly fascinated to hear all of your stories. And boy, I could I could talk to you for days about all of this stuff. And I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time and coming and being a part of the show. Let our listeners know how they can follow you and listen to your show. Um, uh, the Augusta Golf Show runs in about eight different Southeast markets. It's also available on the iHeartRadio app. It's also available, as we like to say these days, Chris, on your uh, home speakers and all of your connected devices. Um, if you just <laughs> ask Alexa to play the Augusta Golf Show, uh, by golly, Alexa will do that. Um, so, and and as, as you mentioned in the introduction, the website is AugustaGolfShow.com. Uh, Twitter is at Augusta Golf Show, uh, and, and that's kind of what it is. You know, we're just we're just a couple of guys, Chris, just trying to you know scrape by doing golf. Shows. <laughs> well john again thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories i hope you'll come back and join me again sometime because now i got a million questions i'd, I'd love to get your well, insights and thoughts on anytime and you and you said to me i will return what you said to me you opened up this whole thing by talking about me being highly recommended by those two idiots um you you, you come so highly recommended to me i have heard about you and this show for a very long time yes from those two guys but from a whole lot of other people too. So congratulations on everything that you've wow. done with this. Um, it well deserved, well deserved. Well, I appreciate you saying that very much. That means a great deal to me, John. 
You're the best, my friend. I, like I say, I hope I get the opportunity to catch up with you soon. And uh, in between now and then, stay, stay, stay healthy. All the best to you and your family. Thank you, Chris. Take care, John. Thank you. That's a great John Patrick. I, folks, I don't know that it gets better than that. Um, he is a, a tremendous host. He's got a great show, and his knowledge is just, I meant, like I said, I, and I mean this sincerely, I'm endlessly fascinated to hear the stories and listen to the way that he tells the story. I think both are fantastic. And uh, I, I just hope we get the privilege of getting John back on the show again soon. So much, so much master's history, so much knowledge. And I don't think it's just tied to the master's listening to some of the other things that he's done. And again, AugustaGolfShow.com, go check it out. I mean, there's a, he, he did an interview years ago with Doug Sanders and rest in peace, Doug Sanders. That was uh horrible news that we all got uh, here this week on the passing of Doug Sanders, but he had an opportunity to talk to him, I want to say about 10 years ago, and it's on there. Rick Riley, I mean, the the amount of great uh, stories and uh, uh, people that he has had as guests on his show uh, is is fantastic. It's, it's, a, it's a long list and it's a very distinguished one. And John does such a great show as a host, or a great job as a host. I, I can't recommend this show highly enough. I started listening uh, probably several months ago when, uh, both Mitch and Matthew told me what, uh, what a great host that, uh, that John was. And so, uh, I went out to, to check out his website and then just started cycling through all of his great segments. And there, and there's so many of them. So I can't recommend the show highly enough. And like I say, hopefully we get the privilege of catching up with, uh, John again real soon. All right. Before I get to my next guest, Scott McCarron, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our friends. First, Positive Vibes Golf, and you can find them online at PositiveVibesGolf.com and give them a follow on Twitter at PVibesGolf. Their head covers and putter covers are a very unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts. They're a great on-course training aid as well, really, because they help you stay positive by putting a positive, happy image in your mind. Because every time you walk back to your golf bag and you look at your head covers, you can't help but smile. See why I say that by going online to PositiveVibesGolf.com and give them a follow on Twitter at P vibes golf all right now i want to play the uh, interview i did uh, yesterday with scott mccarron it was it was a great time scott's a fantastic interview and a fantastic golf player as you guys know uh he won the uh the charles schwab cup last year on the uh, pga tour champions he was their player of the year winning the jack nicholas award and had a great time spending some time with him take a listen now joining me here on Next on the T is Champions Tour Player of the Year, Scott McCarron. Let me give you some background on Scott. He's from Sacramento, California, played his college golf at UCLA, where he graduated with his degree in history. Following his graduation, he gave up golf for four years to help his father with their family golf apparel business, came back and turned pro in 1992 and made the PGA Tour in 1994. He won three times on the PGA Tour at the 96 Freeport McDermott Classic by five strokes over Tom Watson. At the 97 Bell South Classic here in Atlanta by three strokes over David Duvall, Lee Jansen, and Brian Henninger. He repeated here in Atlanta at the Bell South Classic in 2001, winning by a stroke over Mike Weir. He's partnered with Bruce Litsky and later Brad Faxon to win the Templeton Shark Shootout three times. And he and Brian Henninger paired up again to win the Fred Meyer Challenge in 2002. Since joining the Champions Tour, he's won 11 times, including three wins last year. One of those three wins again here in Atlanta at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic. Those wins, coupled with his consistently great play all season and his play in the playoff, earned him the year-long Charles Schwab Cup and the PGA Tour Champions Championship and the Jack Nicklaus Trophy for being their player of the year. 
He also has the biggest forearms, I think, on the planet, and I'm very honored to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Scott. Thanks for coming on the show. You got it, Chris. That's one of that's a heck of an intro. That was long. I like that. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. In, <laughs> in long and distinguished career. So kudos to you, Scott. I always like to start with a with a guest for the first time by going back to when you started playing the game. Talk about when that was. Who was the first person to put a club in your hands? And then uh, a little bit about your family's apparel business. Well, certainly, my uh, my father was the first one to get me introduced into golf. Um, as soon as I could basically walk, I mean, he was taking me to the driving range. Uh, as a little kid, my first toy was a cut-down golf club, and I was crawling around with that golf club everywhere I could go. So um, I, as soon as I could stand up, I was you know, hitting plastic golf balls in the backyard. My dad would take me to the driving range, and I started playing you know, my first tournament when I was four years old. Um, so I, I played golf from a very early Early on, my dad was a professional baseball player, um, made it to AAA and played the shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals, Scott Cubs. So a very good athlete. When he quit playing baseball, he just started playing a lot of golf. And that's really what got me into golf. So growing up, uh, I played all sports, baseball, basketball, football, all the way until about uh, sophomore year in high school, and then kind of quit everything just to focus on golf. So talk about your uh your family's uh, golf apparel business. How'd your dad go from uh, being a minor league baseball player to golf apparel? Well, he got he actually did a, like, quite a few different jobs. He was a golf salesman for Royal Golf Company years ago. I don't remember they were a division of Uniroyal. Yeah, um, they had the Royal Plus Six, the Royal Masters Golf Ball, they made clubs, shoes, and everything. So he was uh, a golf salesman for them and uh, Western Regional Sales Manager when we moved up to Seattle, covering the whole Northwest. Um, and then he was in the golf business selling Jack Nichols golf shoes and Burton golf bags. And then he got in the embroidery business way back when, when nobody was really doing much in embroidery. I think there was only one machine in Northern California that was in San Francisco. We, um, had an embroidery machine and he started making, uh, have his own apparel made golf shirts and just selling golf shirts and logos to golf courses all around, uh, the West Coast. And that turned more into corporate, uh, type logos golf shirts and sweaters and hats and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, he was doing that uh, when I was in junior high and high school uh, in Napa. And unfortunately, uh, he had just moved the business in 86 to downtown Napa and it got hit with a flood. Um, and we lost everything, lost the business. And, wow. And uh, all of our all, all of our merchandise, the burner machines and uh, everything. So he went through a period of time where he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. Um, I was graduating from UCLA in 88, uh, he, needed, he had kind of been out of business for a year and a half. And I was uh, headed to law school, and I kind of said, you know, what if I go in business with you, and I'll go get uh, the SBA loans, and let's go make a go of this and see if we can do it. And that's what we did. Um, I went and got SBA loans under my name, started the business, and uh, called Competitor Golf Apparel, and we started going right back into doing what he had done before. Um then we decided to, we could lose more money if we manufactured headwear start to finish. So we started a company <laughs> called Cap USA. Uh, and, you know, and this was, uh, right at the end of the uh, 1980s, the 90s, uh, you know, where the economy was not great and we were trying to, uh, make headwear start to finish, um, here in the United States because so many of the headwear was made overseas, uh, which was cheaper. Um, but, you know, we wanted to, you know, have American made. And, uh, so we, we had 40 employees selling hats and I was out selling hats and 
getting sales forces to sell caps USA. And we were doing that and doing the, uh, the apparel at the same time. And by a, somehow just kind of got back into golf. It was actually through uh, a champion store event at my home course at the time, Rancho Marietta called the Rayleigh Senior Gold Rush. Um, I really wasn't playing much golf for about three, three and a half years. And the only time I really played golf was to help run charity events. And basically I was helping them to sell shirts. Um, I would sell 144 shirts or hats and help them run the events since I had the golf background. So I, I was only playing in scramble tournaments for, um, you know, a couple of years. That's, that's the only golf I really played. I was skiing, doing about 50 days a year skiing. I got my pilot class and I was flying, a little skydiving and kayaking. I started a flag football city league team. Um, I played, uh, city league basketball, softball, two softball leagues. I was playing, uh, 5 0 tennis team. Um, and I was playing open racquetball tournament. So, you know, I was doing all these things that I hadn't been able to do all those years because I was playing golf and uh, was having a good time. But after I saw a bunch of these champions tour guys putting with a long putter, um, I went home and made one myself that night and went out and putted with it. And that's what really got me back into golf. Um, I started signing up for some amateur events just for fun and was winning them. And uh, that's when I decided to uh, uh, turn pro. I almost won the U.S. mid-amateur when I was 25. At uh, Long Cove, lost the quarterfinals, and lo and behold, I came back and said, "You know, I'm done with working. I want to go play golf and see what see what can happen here." And, uh, it was a good decision. <laughs> Thank God, you know, the businesses weren't doing that great at the time <laughs> that I was able to uh, kind of stop that, go and, and, and play golf because uh, as the businesses were still were really doing well, I might be still selling shirts and hats. So let's go back a little bit. And you mentioned your time at uh, at UCLA. Why UCLA? Well, UCLA, uh, a couple reasons. One, when I was being recruited, they were number one in the nation. Um, they had great players. Uh, Corey Pavin, Jay Delsing, Duffy Waldorf, uh, Brad Bell, uh, Mickey Okoy. I mean, these guys were, were phenomenal uh, college players. So when I got recruited, uh, I went to UCLA, I went to Stanford, went to Arizona, Arizona State, uh, University of Pacific for my recruiting trip. But uh, once I went to UCLA, Went to the Rose Bowl and saw a football game and, you know, overlook at Westwood. I thought this is a pretty cool place uh, with academics and athletics and uh, decided to go there. Scott, like I mentioned in your intro, you've had a lot of success. I'm here in Atlanta and you've had a lot of success here. What What is it about, you know, the, the times at the Bell South Classic or Mitsubishi Electric Classic last year? What is it about the city of Atlanta that seems to bring out the best in your game? Yeah, it's one of my favorite golf courses of all time. And my first practice round there at uh was with Greg Norman. And uh, he kind of just the lines you could take and, and where you could hit some of the shots. And uh, it's helped me out quite a bit to uh, to learn that golf course. Um, it's a golf course that, uh, you know, you, if you're a long driver, you can take it over a lot of the bunkers, um, get some extra roll and take advantage of some of those par fives. It, it just uh, fit my eye the first time I ever played it. So I uh, was able to win there that first year in 97 um, and then had a couple times where I had some chances again um, right after that and then was able to win there in 2001 for the second time. And then, you know, lo and behold, we go and have a championship tour event there and uh, was able to, to win that uh, last year. Even though we played the new nine, which was a very difficult nine, we had some difficult conditions. Uh, I really enjoyed that, that new nine and just I just have good feelings there. Big congratulations to you on the on the Charles Schwab Cup uh, championship last season. Uh, as you as you were going through that event, 
one of the things that I think is always challenging about whether it's the FedEx Cup or the Charles Schwab Cup is keeping track of the points and all of that sort of thing. And Longer is is making a hard charge at the end of last season. How did you try to keep track of where you were in relation to he and everybody else to make sure that you brought the cup home? Well, it was interesting. I had a very pretty big league going into the playoffs, and I really wasn't thinking too much about it. Um, the playoff tournaments that we play at, I, I've had good event tournaments at over the years. I, I just felt like you know my game was I was playing well. I had a chance to win uh, a couple weeks beforehand up in Canada, the Shaw Cherry Classic, to almost make it three in a row. But West Short got a great break off the rocks out of the pond on 18 to, to beat me by a shot. So, you know, I really wasn't thinking about uh, the Schwab Cup too much or the points or how far I, I had. And it wasn't until after uh, really the first event. And Jerry Kelly had won the week before at SAS, and then he had played well and Keith Goosen was playing well, and all of a sudden these guys started catching up. And you know, then I started thinking about points a little bit, where I needed to be, and where they needed to be, and all these things. And um, I was talking a lot with Tom Lehman and Bernard Longer, both. Both were telling me how difficult it was for them to win their first Schwab Cup. You know, it's a year-long race; everybody's gunning for you. You know, you, this is something you've wanted all year. You know, we start putting more pressure, and so you know, a lot of guys are telling me not to put pressure on yourself, just play your game. I think the more guys were telling me that, the more I was putting pressure on myself and thinking about <laughs> it. So it just, uh, you know, it, it made it hard. I, I didn't, I, I played decent uh, through the first couple of rounds uh, at Sherwood. And then uh, with nine holes to go, uh, I think I shot 42 or something like that, just to plummet down the leaderboard going from like fifth to, you know, 30th or whatever. And, and that was more just starting to think about the Schwab Cup. And so it was really in my head. And certainly the last week in Phoenix, I did not play well. I was just a mess. And then all the guys were behind me that uh, I didn't need to play well were all playing well. <laughs> they were all in the top five. Langer, <laughs> Houston, Monty, and Jerry Kelly. And these guys were just playing up a storm. So it was, you know, one of the most, I don't know if you saw it, but it was one of the more incredible finishes in all of golf with Maggart and Ratif Goosen uh, in a playoff with the Charles Schwab Cup hanging in the balance. If, if Ratif wins, he wins the Schwab Cup. And if Maggart wins the playoff, then I win the Schwab Cup. So uh, it was quite exciting. And then for Maggart to hold it on the third playoff hole, 127 yards of the pitching wedge, uh, you know, one of the best shots I've ever seen. Um, and one of the one of the most timely shots that's ever happened in my life while I was sitting on a veranda holding a glass of wine. Uh, <laughs> it was quite a way to win the Schwab Cup. <laughs> So, so that begs the question: What did Maggard get for holding the shot? I'm sure. I'm sure it wasn't just an attaboy. No, no, no. We sent him a we sent him a case of wine from a small little winery called Emmaus that's owned by a friend of mine that uh, is one of the one of the best wines. They serve it in the French Laundry, uh, and it's just phenomenal wine. So we Maggard got a nice case of wine, and uh, by the time I saw him in Hawaii. Which been uh, just about maybe three weeks after he'd gotten the case, uh, he'd already gone through it and would want to know where his second case was. <laughs> I think he thought it was a weekly case. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. So, Scott, have, have any of you guys actually seen Bernhard Longer bleed? Are we sure he's human? Because, I mean, the guy is just like a piece of German machinery that just keeps rolling on. I mean, he's going to be 63 in August, but he's already won once this season and he's leading, you know, the, the cup uh, standing so far this year, whenever that gets to get picked back up. But the guy's just absolutely amazing. 
He, you know, he really is. And, you know, he's kind of been one of the guys that inspired me to do the, as much as I can here after my career on the PGA Tour and into the Champions Tour. Um, he works out. He eats right. He does his homework on the golf course. He practices the right way. I mean, he really does a great job. And, um, watching him take apart a golf course, how he, you know, never really misses it in the wrong spot. He never short sides himself. He'll, he might miss a green or two, but he puts it in a position where he, he's got a fairly easy up and down. Um, he, he just doesn't make many mistakes. So, you know, one of the most incredible golfers over a span of a lifetime. I mean, you know, people don't realize how good he was. I mean, this guy was one of the best players in the world for a long, long time. And I know he battled some putting issues over the years, but to still battle those issues and be one of the best players of all time, a Hall of Famer, um, you know, a lot of credit to Brent Liger. He, he's a guy that uh, I, I'm, I'm happy to call a friend. Um, he's kind of a mentor a little bit to me and, and, and a great guy and, and someone I would like to emulate uh, my life like. Scott, you're in tremendous shape. Talk about your regimen. How do you stay in such great shape year-round? Well, I do. I've been uh, staying in pretty good shape. My wife uh, is a triathlete, uh, and she now rides horses. And she loves working out. She uh, was a uh, workout instructor, and so she has always been into fitness. So for the last eight, nine years, um, I've become more into fitness than I think I ever was uh, on the regular tour. So I, I think she's been a, a, a big part of my life to, to stay in shape. And, and I think also being at 50, knowing that, you know, there is a time where I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. And it could be, you know, eight years. It could be 10 years. It could be 14 years. But there's a, a, a limit. And, you know, when you're on the PGA Tour, you're not really thinking about this is going to be over in a few years. Uh, where the Champions Tour, uh, there is a time period. where, you, And so I want to make sure I take advantage and, and be in the best shape that I can each and every week so my body's ready to go and then I can compete at the highest level. Um, I, I don't think I could have won the Schwab Cup last year if I wasn't in good shape. And, you know, especially this year, you know, right now we've got a lot of off time. Um, and so I'm going to be in the best physical shape that I can be in because once we come back, whenever that may be, we're going to play a lot of events in a row. And so the guys that are in good shape are going to have a lot, a big advantage over the guys that, uh, watched uh, Tiger King and drank the whole time off. So <laughs> I, I'm going to do, every, do everything I can to, to be ready when that bell finally does ring that, uh, that, that I give myself the best opportunity to try to back up uh, another Schwab Cup. Scott, uh, you're going to be 55 in July. So in, in a little over four years on the Champions Tour, you've won nearly four times as many tournaments as you did when you were on the PGA Tour. But it comes against Many of the same guys you've competed against for 30 years. What's different now? Well, I think what's different is it's a numbers game. Chris, you know, you look at the PGA Tour, they tee up 144 to 156 guys each week, where, you know, 135 or 40 of those guys could win. Um, well, we're teeing up 78, 81 guys. Um, in our tour, not every guy in our event can win. You know, there's guys that are sometimes Monday qualifiers that have never played an event. Uh, uh, there's guys that, uh, you know, haven't been competitive for a while. So, you know, it's a numbers game. You're playing against 35, 40 guys each week that have a chance to win as opposed to 140. So, um, if you're playing well, I, I feel like if I play well on the Champions Tour, I'm always going to be somewhere near the hunt. Uh, that wasn't the case in the regular tour. If I was playing well, you might be 10 shots behind the leader, you know. Uh, but on the Champions Tour, I feel like if I play well, then I'm always going to be somewhere near the hunt. 
and with a couple birdies can get uh, can get right up there. So it's a very competitive. Um, I'm playing against the same guys I competed against uh, on the regular tour for all those years, but it's just a smaller number of guys doing it. That uh, I think that's why I've had success. I've been able to win 11 times, uh, which, you know, when you look at it, it feels like a lot, but I also look at it like I let probably six or seven of them go that I felt like I should have won. So um, we're always trying to get better. Um, I look at what Langer's done. It's just incredible. Like what Hale Irwin did uh, was incredible. And, and I think a lot of it too, what spurred me on is uh, I got to have dinner at Jack Nicholson's house a couple of years ago, right after I'd won Allianz in Florida. And he kind of pulled me aside and he said, uh, you know, one of the things I regret in my life, I wish I would have played more on the PGA Tour Champions. Um, I had so much fun playing with all the guys I got to compete with. It was a more relaxed atmosphere, but it was so competitive um, because once it's over, it's over. You don't get to go back. So he goes, don't make that same mistake. Give it all you got and, and, and play as much as you can. So, you know, for arguably the greatest player that's ever lived to say that, um, that shows how much the Champions Tour really means to all of us. And speaking of that, again, we talk about the same guys you played with, you know, played against for for all those years. Um, talk about the camaraderie. I'm I'm sure there there are times when you guys are having fun and yucking it up like your your old buddies, but uh, at the same time, I'm sure you still want to beat each other's brains out. Yeah, we do, but you know, again, we've all kind of had our careers. Um, it's not going to make or break us. Maybe at this point where before you were always vying for your job. I mean, if you didn't get in the top 125, you lose your job, and that could mean you can't pay your mortgage, your kids to go to college, I mean, all those things. And we're kind of past that a little bit um, after having decent careers on the PGA Tour. Um, and so there's enough money to go around, there's enough tournaments to go around, that you're, you're rooting for your buddies to play well. Now, you want to beat them. Don't get me wrong. We want to, we want to beat each other's brains out week in and week out. But if, a guy, if my buddies or have a chance to win, I'll stick around and wait for them. Um, and if I have a chance to win, my guy, my buddies are sticking around to wait for me, which is really cool. Um, it's a great group of guys, and it, we're having so much fun out there because we're. I think we appreciate it maybe a little bit more. Um, I think that's why our pro-ams, when people play in our pro-ams, they're having a blast because the, our guys are really giving them a good time in the pro-ams. They're talking, they're giving them tips. They'll go in after and have lunch with them, or if it's five o'clock, they might have a cocktail with them. So they're really having a, a good time where you don't get that quite as much on, on the regular tour. The guys are, you know, they're focused on their job, trying to keep their position um, and make the name for themselves where, you know, we've kind of all been there, done that. Are you guys hearing anything about uh, when tournament play might resume? Um, well, as far as the future tour champions, we're hearing, uh, we're hearing the Senior Players Championship second week in July at Firestone would be our first one back. Um, I haven't really heard yet. Uh, I've heard some, some rumors about when the PGA Tour is going to start, um, but they haven't made anything official yet. So as of right now, our start will be uh, second week in July at Firestone in Ohio. But, you know, I, once again, that's still up in the air. So at that event, if, if that is the timing, is it going to be life as normal, fans, you know, interaction with pro-ams, you know, signing autographs and all of that sort of thing? Or do you think uh, it might trickle back where you guys are just playing out there by yourselves? You know, I don't know. I think it, a lot of it has to do with what happens here in the next couple months. Um, you know, one thing with golf is that, you know, you can social distance pretty well in a golf course. Um 
And especially at a PGA Tour Champions event, you know, we don't get 40,000, 50,000 people at an event. We might get 10,000 people um, where they can spread out pretty good on a golf course at any given time. So, I, you know, I think that we could still have fans uh, come out to our event. Uh, but the biggest thing is, will we be able to have tournaments where the sponsors are able to bring in their clients? Uh, are we able to get volunteers to come and volunteer um, for these tournaments? Are we able to you know, put on an event where we can raise money for the charities, the local charities that need that money? You know, there's a lot of things to go on to have a PGA Tour event or PGA Tour champions that uh, just doesn't include just the fans. So all of that stuff has to come together. And um, I think we're still a little ways off from that right now. Scott, just a couple more before I let you go. And and you commented on one of the tweets that I had put out there uh, with Owen Brown, who is a, a great friend of the show. I love Owen a lot. And uh, you mentioned he is one of the great ornithologists out there. So yes, what made is. you say that? Well, he is. he's one of the guys that anytime you play with Owen, no matter where you are, see all kinds of birds, seagulls and gulls, big birds, little birds, and, and you just point to him and say, Owen, what's that? And he would know. I mean, He's the guy on our tour that he studies that um, big time. And he, he knows birds. He knows fish. So uh, he's our resident ornithologist. If you don't have an idea of what that bird is, just ask Colin. And I want to get uh, one quick playing lesson from you, Scott. And I saw a video that you did about gripping the golf club. And I want to focus on one aspect of that. And, and so many of us you know, are gripping that thing, especially our driver, as hard as we can. Because we want to kill it you know, when we get up there. And and that's probably the exact opposite of what we should be doing. Talk about grip pressure. Well, I think grip pressure needs to be just uh, strong enough that uh, it's not going to fly out of your hands. Um, tension. Anytime you grip it tight, that causes tension. If you have tension in your in your hands, and you're going to have tension in your forearms, tension in your shoulders, your neck. I mean everything. So I think it all comes from relaxing your hands, your shoulders, your wrists, your arms. Uh, but you still have to hold on to that golf club tight enough that it's not going to be flying out of your hand. So there's a little bit of pressure there, but not so much that you're giving it the old death grip. Scott, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's on social media? Yeah, you can follow me on uh, online at, at Scott McCarran on Twitter. Um, we do tweet a little bit. I've been starting to put out some uh, some old lessons that uh, i Worked on with my teacher, E.A. Tischler, when we started working together six years ago. So it's kind of fun to revisit some of these old lessons that uh, my wife videotaped at the time when we were just dating. And, and uh, we, we, I saved all, all, these, all these old lessons and you know, put them in a little file so I can go back and relearn them because you're, we're always working on the same stuff. And so it's been a lot of fun to kind of go through that. And I'm going to start uh, unloading a few more of them in the next few weeks. Well, Scott, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. Anytime, Chris. Uh, you uh, Stay safe, and I uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. All the best to you and your family. Catch up with you soon. Thank you. That's the great Scott McCarran, at Scott McCarran on Twitter. Give him a follow. He's uh, he's fantastic. What a, what a great segment that was. Oh, boy, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Hopefully we get the opportunity to catch up again. Uh, with Scott real soon. Wish him the best out there on the Champions Tour. I'll be uh, I'll be tuning in and watching he and then uh, and our good friends Owen Brown and Donnie Hammond and uh, Sean McKeel, Bob Estes, such great friends of the show out there, and uh, we'll be keeping track of all those guys. Hopefully in uh, in mid July, just like uh, Scott said. Wish him the best. We look forward to catching up with him again soon.
Well, there you have it, folks. That was my conversation with Scott McCarran and uh, a lot of fun. Scott's a, a great guy. And, and like I say, I hope uh, we get the opportunity to catch up with him uh, before too long. All right, my friends, it's time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. want to send out my sincere thanks once again to Tom Patrick, John Patrick, and Scott McCarran for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net. On there, you'll be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. You can also stream any number of our archive episodes. We link right back to uh, our episodes and our segments on uh, podcast.co. Plus, uh, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm. We are all over the net. So if you've got a favorite podcasting site, we're likely a part of it. Folks, I can't thank you again for choosing to continue to make us a part of your golf content. We really appreciate your support. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.